Well, good morning. Are you ready? I was going to say, in our Proverbs study this morning, we are on the struggle bus, so it's okay. It's all right. We're going to work through this together. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Whew, made it. Nice job. Very good. Yeah, so that's the section. And actually, we actually have all of next week to continue to work on those verses, 19 through 25, so we can really get them ingrained in our minds. We want those to be the soundtrack of our quiet thoughts. And hopefully, as we have God's word planted in our hearts and we humbly sit under it, that verses like this will be a continual reminder to us in the moments of our days when our minds start to wander about things that might make us quick to get angry or might make us uh, move away from the authority of God's Word. And that's really, I think, what this, the, this whole series has been about. Working, looking at the wisdom of James and that applied knowledge is the, the understanding that we live under the authority of God's word as believers, that as Christians, we want to sit under that authority in everything that we do. We want it to tell us what to do and how to think and, and how to feel, and we need to have his word planted in our hearts in order to do that. It made me think of something we mentioned just last week in, in chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. Go ahead and turn to James chapter 4 with me. And we were looking at the, the end of the, the, that section there. We looked at verses 1 through 12 last week. And there was, a, there was a comment towards the end I want to go back to, even as we begin our time this morning. And that's, it's not our job to sit in judgment of God's Word. It's not our job to determine whether or not it applies to us. The question is, how does it apply? And as followers of Christ who want to sit under his authority, that's an important distinction for us to make. It, it, it changes the way I read the Bible because I'm no longer standing in judgment over top of Scripture determining whether I think it's true or not true. I'm now sitting under its authority and now saying, okay, God, how is it that you would have me apply this to my life? How is it through your word and through your spirit and through the church family that you're going to help me be transformed with the renewing of my mind, my actions, my body? How are you going to renew all of this in me? Not determining, well, this part doesn't apply to me and this part does. It's no, it all applies to me. Just whether or not I will sit under its authority. And that's really what I hope we walk away with from uh, these the past several weeks in the book of James. We'll just have one more week after this, but I hope that our takeaway from this entire section 
will be that, that the only hope you and I have against fooling ourselves is to sit under the authority of God's word. We are so easily deceived by our mind and by, by our emotions and by our feelings that our only hope is to sit under the authority of, of God's word. So would you look with me? We're going to look this morning at James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, and we're going to take the section all the way down to 5, 6 today. Next week, we'll wrap up with 7 through the end, but this week, we'll look at James 4, beginning in 13, all the way down to 5, 6. It says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we will stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your field have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the way it teaches us and instructs us. And God, our deepest desire is that we, would, that we would be exposed by it like the mirror, that it would show us for who we truly are and, and our desperate need for you. God, and our desire this morning is to be transformed by this text and to sit under its authority. In your most glorious name, amen. You and I are one phone call away from having our entire lives changed. It's a phone call typically, too. Typically, we don't get one of those texts that says everything's going to be different. It's typically a phone call, which is why none of us like to answer the phone. (laughs) Typically, we don't get news like that in an email. It's usually a phone call. We've had some friends this past week who've been waiting on a phone call from a doctor about one of those biopsies as to whether it was going to be cancerous or not. Maybe you've had a phone call like that as well, too. Or maybe you've been waiting on a phone call like that. It's hard to wait on a phone call. Maybe you got a phone call from work that said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. We're moving your division. We're changing the organization of your group. You know, you thought you were going to retire with this company, and now you kind of find yourself looking for a a new place to work on Monday. Maybe it's a phone call that you got about someone you love. Maybe it's something about a a child or a parent that you're getting a phone call about, and you suddenly realize 
that things are not going to ever be the way that you thought they were going to be. You and I are one phone call away from having our lives completely different than we assumed things were going to be, what was going to happen, what the future held for any of us. We are one phone call away. We even live with an illusion of control. We live like the things in our lives are solid and concrete and controllable and we are the masters of our worlds. And then something as simple as a torrential rainfall that turns into a flash flood or something like a a hurricane 100 miles off the coast suddenly starts to make landfall near us. And we realize we live with an illusion of control. We think that we have control over everything in our lives, but what the weather reminds us of, what our physical bodies remind us of, what the economic conditions of the world remind us of, are we live with an illusion of control. We really have less control of things than we ever thought possible. Now we live like We control everything, and we are the kings of the world. But in reality, there is so little we control. You know, the passage that we're looking at today really has has an interesting tone to it. It's a a very challenging tone. It's a warning. Uh, There's two warnings going on here. It seems like in, in 13 through 17, there's this powerful warning against being self-dependent into thinking that we control the future of our acts and our activities. Uh, There's a warning against being self-dependent. And then it seems like verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 deal with the issue of being stuff-dependent. Are we dependent on our things, on our resources, on our wealth, on our retirement accounts, on, on all the things that we can store store up for our own security. In a lot of ways, we are fooling ourselves about our security. We feel like that we control our calendars and our time and the accumulation of income, and we also are fooling ourselves about how dependent our stuff will be for us, even as we've already read this morning in Proverbs 18 about how the rich look at their wealth like a strong tower. But they're deceived. It's really not as reliable or as secure, as strong as they think it might be. And that's what I want us to look at this morning as we unpack this passage, thinking about this as a corrective passage. Uh, Both sections begin with this, look here, you who say, you know, look here, you rich people. There's a warning against the attitudes and actions of being self-dependent and stuff-dependent all trying to bring it back through the lens of everything that we've been talking about, of living under the authority of God's Word. And I think verse 17 of chapter 4 seems like a a summary statement of everything, not only in this passage, but everything in this letter we've read so far. Remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and not to do it. It's It's a sin to know God's Word and to not do it. It's a sin to be a hearer of the Word and, and, and not a doer. It's a, it's a sin to, to know God's Word and, and to look at it like it's a mirror and to walk away and immediately forget what you look like. And here the challenge 
is our security. Who and what do we look to for our security? Do we look to ourselves and our self-dependency? And do we look to our stuff and being stuff-dependent? We live in a world that operates on those two things. We reward those things. We encourage those kind of things. But what's going to be important for us as we start to unpack this passage is to recognize that just because we're not supposed to be self-dependent doesn't mean that we're anti-planning any more than the idea of being stuff-dependent means we're anti-wealth, right? It's just what are the actions and attitudes that James wants the hearer to understand in these particular passages. And, and what I want us to see, even as we think about this passage, is that our security rests in God's supreme power and authority. I, I chose that specifically because I didn't want to say sovereignty, Because I think sometimes we hear sovereignty so much we forget what it really means. But that's what his sovereignty is. That when we say God is sovereign over all of creation, over our stuff and over ourselves, we're saying that he has supreme power and authority. One pastor writer said it like this, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. That is a powerful statement about the character and the nature of God and what he calls us to in response to that. And what I want us to see in these passages is that God's sovereignty leads us to a couple things. These passages lead us to a couple things. One is the idea, as you see, of joyful servants and the other is thankful stewards. Let's first of all look at what what do we mean by, by by joyful servants. If you look at this passage... It's, it's describing those people who maybe were uh, commissioned salespeople. And, and these, are, these are wonderful people. Maybe some of you have, have in your life been a commissioned salesperson. I know there was a, a time in my life when I depended completely on commissions for my livelihood. And there's a, a danger of feeling like if I'm not out there hitting it all the time, I'm not going to be successful. If I'm not out there making it work every moment of every day in every in every day of the year, then, I am, then I'm going to let someone down. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to live up to, I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. There was a time in our lives when I was 100% commissions. I dare, not, I dare share this with you because I'm afraid you all lose what little respect you had left for me. <laughs> but there was a time in my life where I sold both new and used cars. See? I can hear the groans already in the room that we should have done a background check, right? Should have, you had your chance. You should have done the background check. But there was a time when there was a month where it wasn't going to add up. It wasn't going to work. The, uh, the, there was, we had gotten to the end of the month, and I had not made enough sales for our family to make it that month. And I remember, I remember feeling the weight of this, this tension of, you know, what could I do, what could I do, what could I do, what could I do? And the funniest thing happened on the very last day of the month. uh, Someone came in to see my manager. And if you've ever been in those kind of situations, you know, the manager decides who does the paperwork kind of a thing. And on the last day of the month, the manager handed me a folder of a friend of his who came in. And I, I don't know how often this happens, but the person purchased three cars in one day. I don't know how many of you have purchased three cars in one day. 
But it totally changed our livelihood from not making it to making it in about an hour. You know, you and I in this illusion of control that we live in think that, that uh, we, we think that, that God's sovereignty is separate from his character and his love and his care for us. We, we, we've taken this, this view of God's sovereignty to mean it's, he's somehow this distant, unloving, uncaring God instead of saying, no, there's something good and beautiful about God's sovereignty and his love for us, his power and control over our lives. And, and while it puts us in the position of servant, don't miss that. You know, that this, this picture here of, of being a, a servant that gets described here, that, that our lives, ourselves, are like a morning fog. Here today, gone tomorrow. They're brief, they're small. That, that, they, that these boasting plans of ours that we control our own destiny and we provide for ourselves, those are pretentious plans. It is out of God's loving sovereignty that he provides for us. It is out of his great care as the supreme power and authority over all his creation that he provides for us and that we are his servants. And our response to him should be one of joy. Our response to the very character and sovereignty of God should not be this sense of, oh no, what are we going to do? We have to put our faith in a sovereign God. It's a, oh, what a relief that it is not completely up to me and my efforts and my ability that I can rest in the beautiful sovereignty of God. Some of the Proverbs we've been studying in the morning, Proverbs 19.21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Proverbs 21.1, even the king's, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. This should bring a great sense of joy to it. Not, not a sense of anxious fear about the sovereignty of God, but as his servants saying things like, if the Lord wants us to, if the Lord wills, that we, we, we not be in, in a situation where we're, we're boasting in our own planning but we're saying, if this is what God wants, I want to be faithful to what God wants. I want to be a joyful servant in response to him. Again, this is not an anti-planning passage, and please don't take it that way. I know some might read a passage like this and say, this is why we should never do any planning. Absolutely not. We're called to consider the cost. But we are called in the planning aspect to not begin with ourselves in a sense of self-dependency, but to begin with the beautiful, loving, generous power and sovereignty of God. That's where we begin in our planning process. So it's not to say we should jettison all plans. It's to say our plans do not begin and end with ourselves. Our plans begin and end with being joyful servants of God, looking to him, trusting to him, recognizing the good things he brings into our lives, recognizing the the blessings and the, the encouragement that he gives and using those things for his purposes and his glory. That totally transforms how you and I should think about the planning process. Planning is never to usurp God's authority, but to live under it. 
planning is to make the most of the resources and the opportunities God has given us to be faithful, not to live haphazard lives without a plan, but to surrender those plans, to begin with His acknowledgement in mind. That's in verse 15. What we ought to say, instead of saying that, that, that today or tomorrow, we're, instead of being, being boasting in our pretentious planning, he says, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. It's the, it's the picture that it all begins and ends with looking to God, acknowledging God's sovereignty in this process and living under that authority. Again, not an anti-planning passage whatsoever but one that reminds us there's a proper order and structure to our planning that we must consider. Especially true in in our individual lives as we think about the planning of our weeks. It's important in our families as we think about planning as it associates in the life of our families. It's also true in the life of a church. It would be a huge mistake to look at a passage like this and say, okay, we should have no plans as a church any more than you should have no plans as an individual or no plans as a family to walk in faithfulness and to be fruitful in all the ways that God has provided for us. So we are to be joyful servants in light of God's sovereignty. This warning against being self-sufficient and self-dependent is a call to acknowledge God's sovereignty and to look to Him in this process. Not to throw out the process, but to look to Him as His joyful servants in the process. Secondly, as we look at the first part of of 5, we see that the tone really ratchets up here a little bit. There's even some question as if if he's talking to a different audience. As if it was like the the last section on, on wealth was talking to those believers that he was writing to that were struggling to to fall into the world's pattern of success. Maybe these were people in the church and they said, you know, I'm 100% commissioned. I got to get out. I, I know what God's word says about trusting Him. I know what God's word says about the Sabbath. I know what God's word says about looking to Him. But, you know, in the world I live in, that's just not the way it works. I hear that sometimes from people. You don't understand what it's like where I work. But that seems to be the group of people that, that James is challenging here. Now, this second group of people that he's challenging sounds a lot like the people in chapter 2 that he was warning them against. It sounds like those wealthy people they were trying to entice to come to church so they could get the benefits of those, that, that these influential people, because the tone of the wealthy people is really challenging. It's really hard. It includes passages of, of judgment that sound like he's maybe talking to people who are in the midst that they might have been trying to cater and giving preferential treatment to. And, and what, I, what, what we want to see here is what's the difference, what is the difference between being wealth dependent, being stuff dependent, and really understanding the proper use of wealth? Because all of the things he describes here are things about excess your your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth eaten your silver and gold are corroded they're they're corroding for lack of use that they've got so much stuff that they've put their faith and their trust in that those things are corroding and these things that you're counting on these things uh, other translations a witness a testimony against you that 
that the way you've hoarded this wealth and hoarded this stuff will be a testimony against you that this is what you were counting on. This is what you were looking to. This is what you were putting your trust in. This is, this is what you were worshiping. This is what you were looking to to find value and purpose and, and strength. You were looking to this stuff. Not only is he getting on them for the hoarding of stuff that they had so much it was corroding in their warehouses, but he also challenges the way that they got that wealth. He says in 4, Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself up for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So it's not just that they had wealth. It's how had they achieved that wealth? Had they achieved it by taking advantage of people, by misusing their power? This was a, a common issue in James's time as he wrote this letter that there were, there were wealthy landowners who would manipulate people in situations and bring wealth for themselves and refuse to pay or pay on time or pay late the people who had been working for them. It was a way that they held the wealth for themselves, a way that they hoarded for themselves that way they were stuff dependent with that wealth in such an awful way it was leading them into sinful behavior and sinful activity that was bringing about God's judgment so we can look at passages of scripture and we've even read this morning about how how money is the root of all evil no I'm sorry that the love of money is the root of all evil as we read together That's an important reminder for us. It's not that wealth is the problem. It's that when wealth is worshipped in such a way that it brings about these other sins in our lives. God is the giver of good things. God is the giver of good things like wealth, but never to the point where that wealth becomes what we worship instead of Him. See, if we look back through the lens of God's sovereignty, we begin to recognize that everything that God gives us is not for us to hoard and to worship, but everything God gives us is to steward for His purposes and for His glory. I even like the word steward there. It's the, it's the idea of a manager. A manager doesn't own the things themselves. They've, they've put in trusted by someone else for those things. Everything you and I have and been given, we have been given a managerial role in. I didn't know if you knew this, but you all are now managers. You all have management credentials now, even all the way back to Genesis in the garden. When God gave us a managerial role over the garden, it was his stuff to be managed his way in his purpose. The same way you and I, you and I don't have income that God has not provided for us. You and I don't have an education that God did not provide for us. You don't have a degree. You didn't get a job. You don't have skills. You don't have anything that God has not provided for you. If you get that turned around, it keeps you from understanding the proper role of God's sovereignty over your lives. It leads to this broken view of self-sovereignty that it was my education and and my income and my job and and my promotion and my sales, right? I can promise you there was nothing I did 
to get credit for those three sales other than sign my name on the paperwork. It was truly a gift of grace. It was. I hadn't done anything to deserve it. It was given to me by someone who asked me to steward it. And our response to this stewardship shouldn't be one of groaning and pain. Oh no, I have to steward the good gifts of God. It should be one that brings about the attitude of thankfulness. You know, we're getting ready to move into the season of, of Thanksgiving, which I think is, could be one of the most exciting times in the life of the believer, in the life of the church. We're going to spend a couple weeks before Thanksgiving looking at some psalms of Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving, giving thanks, is critical in the life of the follower of Christ. And we want to make sure we don't miss it. I know sometimes, in my opinion, Thanksgiving kind of gets the shaft in between Halloween and Christmas, and it's just maybe a thought. But we want to make sure we, we really celebrate the goodness of God, and it is to Him that we give thanks. So we're going to spend some time thinking about that and reflecting on that. But this is our response to being stuff-dependent. Our response to depending on our stuff is to be thankful stewards is to recognize that these things are a gift from God. He's given us to them to manage for His purpose and glory, for His honor, because our lives are but a morning fog. Our lives, our things, our plans, all these things are submitted and surrendered to the supreme power and authority of God. And that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. That's an encouraging thing. That's a gracious thing. That it doesn't depend on you. Your strength, your ability, your physical health, your plans. Because as we've known, we are all one phone call away from having all of those things transform forever. But as followers of Christ, we know our hope is found only in the beautiful power and sovereignty of God. I was thinking about this passage and thinking about some of the things that were being shared here, and back to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've been thinking about this too as you've been sitting there. Thinking through Matthew 6. In Matthew 6, Jesus is telling them not to worry. Not to worry about what they'll eat and what they'll wear, that God provides those things for them. That just like He takes care of the birds, He will take care of you. His sovereignty is good and loving over his creation. He says, don't worry. And then he also talks about how they shouldn't store up treasures on earth. Maybe this is the the hoarding aspect that we were just reading about in James. Not to to store up for these treasures that that moss and and mouse and and, and rats destroy and thieves break in and steal. and, And this... This picture of serving two masters in 24, that no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a worship question. So whether it relates to our worry about how we'll be provided for, or the hoarding of things that we worship instead of God, all those things are fully in display here in James' wisdom. That it's not about being self-dependent or stuff-dependent, It's about trusting in the beautiful sovereignty of God and responding to Him as a joyful servant, recognizing and living under His authority, and a thankful steward, giving thanks for all of the good things He brings into our lives. It even makes me think possibly maybe the 
going back to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, it, it starts to maybe define a little bit of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. To make the kingdom your primary, your primary goal. And all these other things will be added to you well. Whether it's the worrying about stuff, whether it's the confidence in your own planning, whether it's the feeling like we, we have to hold tightly to the good gifts of God and not, not be good stewards of those, all those are the opposite of what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. So when it comes to a passage like this and applying this, I, I do think that, that that could begin what this planning process looks like. The seeking first the kingdom of God, as Jesus said, making those things our top priority becomes what our now planning looks like. That that we can live lives of intentionality. We're not called to live unintentional lives by any means. But we are called to make the kingdom of God our our primary goal. So for you and I to think about how is it now that we live under the authority of a text like this? Well, again, first of all, it confronts our attitudes and our actions. What are the attitudes I have about my calendar? What are the attitudes I have about my schedule? Do I own those and they are immovable, or are those God's to do with as he pleases? What are the attitudes and actions I have about the resources, the financial security that God has given me? Are those mine to be hoarded and to be misused and to abuse others with? I'd have a real hard time making that case here. There's some pretty strong judgment language coming from those that do. But I am called to steward and to serve under the glorious, beautiful sovereignty of God. So what does this look like? Maybe you were thinking about how do I, how do I, plan, out, how do I plan out like the week in front of me? How do I look ahead and say, okay, God, how do I take stock of all the wonderful things you provided? You know, have you ever done a, done a, done a, done a, a, a blessing, uh, a, a blessing account? Have you ever, sa- you know, I think we've sang the song before, count your blessings, right? Well, sometimes that's the very beginning of thinking through this sort of planning and preparation process is what is it that God has given us? Have we spent time kind of, kind of making a list of, okay, these are the resources God has given me as an individual. These are the resources and blessings God has given us as a family. These are the resources and blessings God has given us as a church. Because we can look back through those things and say, look what God has provided. Now, how do we use those things that God has placed in our hands as we seek first the kingdom of God? As we move forward with what God's called us to do? You know, there's a real danger in kind of the anti-planning world that says, no, 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 we should just trust God and we shouldn't make plans. But that, that seems to always be in a situation where we find ourselves always being very reactionary to issues as opposed to being very proactive and, and never moving towards that beautiful picture of, of stewardship in God's kingdom. I think we have to be aware of that and to say, look, we're not going to make our plans. And here's the other danger, right? We're going to come up with a plan for what our day and our week's going to look like. And then we're going to ask God to bless it. That typically doesn't go very well either. Because like we said, many of our lives are one phone call away from all those plans going out the window. I've been around the church long enough to know that we used to have this wonderful 2020 vision. There were churches for decades that talked about all the things they were going to have accomplished and do by the year 2020. If you remember the year 2020, it didn't look like anybody's plans. 
It, it no longer looked like all the things that we were going to accomplish and all the things that we were going to do in the year 2020. So again, many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's God's purposes who will prevail. But it doesn't mean that we don't plan and prepare and steward well the good gifts of God. And that begins sometimes with just being thankful and reflecting on the good things God has brought to us. Thinking about the resources God has given you, not for your hoarding, but for his purposes. The things that God has given you, not to, not to hoard and to hide away, but to steward well for his kingdom purposes. And maybe you've never thought about that before. Maybe you've never thought about your role in the kingdom of God as a joyful servant and as a thankful steward. But I really believe that's what James is trying to bring to the surface here for them, saying, hey, don't fall into these attitudes and actions of self and stuff. God provides good things. Our lives are but a morning fog. We find our greatest fulfillment when we are being joyful servants and thankful stewards. That's when you and I find our greatest fulfillment in Christ, when we know our lives are lining up with his purpose and sovereignty. And that's what our planning should do. Our planning should be something where we wait on the Lord and say, God, thank you. Thank you for these wonderful gifts. God, what are the, what are the opportunities you have placed around me this day and this week? What are the ways that you are already at work in the world that you are lining up all of the things that you have given me with those things I'm seeing in the world for your incredible purpose. Boy, when those things line up, we get a glimpse of the glorious sovereignty of God. Maybe we realize our neighbors aren't there by accident. We realize maybe the house that we live in isn't by chance. We realize the job that we had, that we loved, that we lost. Maybe an opportunity for God to continue to reveal his glory and goodness as he moves us into a new situation. Maybe that diagnosis that we just got that we thought was the end of the world becomes a platform for the world to see the goodness and glory of God. Doesn't mean we don't plan, but it means we plan differently as stewards and servants. And I would, I would encourage you. I would encourage you as you think about some time this afternoon, for some of you in between games, you know what that time is, but as you think about some time this afternoon or even as you, before you begin this week, what if you spent some time saying, God, thank you for the incredible gifts that you have given me. And then start making a list of those things. And say, God, how would you have me use these good, good resources for your glory? How would you call me to steward these and to be a servant of you this particular week? And then think through the week. You already have things on your calendar. I'm not telling you to wipe all those off, but maybe look at those differently. Instead of seeing those things are have-to-dos and got-to-dos and even don't-want-to-dos, maybe see them and say, okay, God, how is it that I can be your servant and your steward in this week ahead? How can I make the most of every opportunity? How can I use these resources well? Not for my own glory to be self-dependent and stuff-dependent, but for yours. How do I live under your 
beautiful, sovereign plan this week. Help me to see it and not miss it. You know, when I don't plan, stuff happens all around me and I just don't see it until I look back in disappointment and go, well, that was a missed opportunity. But what planning does is it helps me be aware and alert of those opportunities. That I know these are the things I want to be in prayer for. These are the things I want to be intentional about. These are, again, not for my own glory, but living under the authority of God. His sovereignty, his power and authority should give us a great sense of joy and gratitude. Not a sense of fear and apprehension. But I got to tell you, too many times in our lives, we view those things just with fear and apprehension instead of trusting in the good and gracious God. Maybe there's been a time in your life where in the moment, you didn't see it. You did not see how the end of this job or the end of this situation could ever be used in a positive way. But maybe in God's grace, He's given you a chance to look back and see His sovereign, beautiful hand on how He worked through that situation to grow you and to glorify Himself through all those things. Boy, I pray that for you. I pray if you're looking back at something difficult this morning that, that you, you get a glimpse of the goodness of God in that. And He reveals that wonderful thing to you. And if you are in the middle of one of those things right now, I pray that you'll find God to be gracious. I pray that you won't fear the future. I pray you won't fear the next phone call or the next situation. I pray that you will find great comfort in the God who has all power and all authority. The God who is at work in his creation, who provides for your every need, who cares deeply for you, and you will find strength. Would you pray with me? God, you are a good and generous God, and it is a privilege to gather in your name and be reminded of how gracious and loving, but also how powerful and sovereign you are over all things. God, you alone are God. There is no other. God, as we come together, we, we pray that we would that we would interpret the brokenness in our lives and the brokenness and the sin that exists in us and around us, that we would look to you, that we'd find hope in you and strength in you and courage in you, that we wouldn't fear the phone calls, we wouldn't fear the disruption, we wouldn't idolize our, our work and our schedule and our wealth, but we would worship you alone. God, help us. Help us even as we think about this week to consider where you've placed us and, and the opportunities before us and help us to be intentional about seeking your, first your kingdom. God, help us. Help us to be faithful. Faithful stewards and faithful servants. In your heavenly name, amen.